I want to invite you to take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're going to read verses 20 to 26 in just a moment. It is indeed wonderful to send our elders to different places to speak. This week, uh, Kurt is speaking at a family camp here in Indiana on Tuesday night, so I hope you'll be in prayer for him. And unless I'm mistaken, Stephen Smith is going to be preaching in another congregation uh, next Sunday, so be praying for Stephen as he prepares to do that. Um, It is good to be able to send out men like that to help. God has raised up teachers and preachers in such a way among us that we can send them out to be a blessing to others. And so I am thankful for that, and I hope you will join me in praying for those two men, even as we prayed for Kevin this morning. Let's read verses 20 to 26, and then we will pray, and then we will we'll jump in. This is what the Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Let's pray together. Our Father, Your Word is a lamp to our feet. It is a light to our path. We pray, God, that through the preaching of Your Word, You would test our thoughts and know them and try us and see if there is any wicked way in us, that You would lead us in the way everlasting. We pray for those who do not yet know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. We pray, Father, through Your Word that You would sharpen the sword of Your Word so that it pierces their heart, so they are convinced of the truth and come to Jesus. Help us to all understand, believe, and live according to Your truth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine for just a moment, your favorite breakfast, eggs, bacon. See, all you have to do is say bacon. People smile. They're like, this is a good word, bacon. We like bacon. Pancakes, biscuits and gravy so that you feel better about yourself. Some sliced fruit on the side. 
right? It's usually there still at the end of breakfast, but it was nice to have it on the plate, wasn't it? Now imagine yourself in a nice hotel where you can order such a breakfast for yourself and have it brought to your room. There's a knock at the door, you open the door, and there is the attendant dressed in a tuxedo, pushing a cart with a pristine white cloth covering it. He removes the cloth to reveal a silver cart with a silver tray holding your perfect breakfast. Then he puts on protective gloves and picks up oranges and hand squeezes orange juice for you to go with this feast. It's quite a breakfast, isn't it? Now, I want you to imagine the exact same breakfast, and you're sitting in the exact same hotel, and the attendant comes to the door, And as soon as you open the door, his body odor hits you first, watering your eyes. He's wearing a sweat-stained T-shirt of some band that nobody's ever heard of. He's pushing a cart, and the cloth covering it probably used to be white, but it is no longer white. It hasn't been cleaned in quite some time. He pulls off the cloth. The food looks great. It smells great. But the cart is a rusty grocery cart, and your food sits on a dirty trash can lid. And then with his crusty, crusty, ungloved, unwashed hands, he picks up beautiful oranges and begins to squeeze orange juice for your breakfast. Now, admittedly, in months past, I would have been able to see your faces and how you respond to that. But my guess is that you're thinking what I'm thinking, which is that that second scenario is less appetizing than the first scenario, because the person who serves the food matters, because the manner in which they serve the food matters, because the vessel that carries the food matters. These two men may be equally gifted in serving. They may bring equally delicious food, but they're not equally committed to cleanliness. And that difference makes a difference. The same can actually be said of those who serve the Lord. They may be equally gifted in teaching or in music or in serving. They may teach in engaging ways or write equally engaging songs. But being committed to cleanliness of life, that difference makes a difference. The food is more appetizing. And this difference, this cleanliness, is what Paul says Timothy needs in our text. In the verse before our text begins, <coughs> Paul makes it excuse me. <coughs> Paul makes it clear that the Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are truly his servants and who are not. And one of the marks of those servants is this: let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And if you will, verses 20 to 25, at least the beginning of it, is Paul's call to Timothy to depart from iniquity. 
Timothy, you name the name of the Lord. Don't think that you can serve Him just any old way. Purposefully, intentionally, depart iniquity. And instead, what Paul calls Timothy to in this text is this, to pursue holiness as you serve the Lord. Pursue holiness as you serve the Lord. Now, if you remember last week's main point as we looked at verses 14 to 19, it was this, speak God's Word faithfully. That was what we That was what Paul was communicating last week, and it's so important. It's critical. Without it, God's words won't be clear. But Paul wants more than clear words. Paul calls for a clean servant who brings the clear words. He wants and calls for holiness because holiness matters. So pursuing, pursue holiness as you serve the Lord. So first of all, as we look at the text, let's think about what pursuing holiness is, okay? What, how does Paul describe it? Well, now, when we think about holiness in general, the word holiness means to be set apart, it means to be separated, it means to be unique, and God is holy. He is holy in and of Himself. It's who He is by nature, and and though He requires it of us, we have none of it in us, you see. Yet, God calls those who belong to Him, who trust in Jesus, who are Christians, who are His people, from the Old Testament clear to the new, they must be holy. So, Peter quotes Leviticus 11 in 1 Peter 1. He says, "For you shall be holy, for I am holy." Yet we don't have it in and of ourselves. You see, the Bible teaches us that our sin separates us from a holy God, that He can't even look on sin, and that sin condemns us to an eternity in hell, but that God in love sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for us. Jesus, who was God in the flesh, who is perfectly holy, came among the unholy, Second, First Peter 3.18 said He was the righteous one who died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. He paid the penalty for sin. He was raised in victory over sin from the dead so that you and I could be forgiven, so that we may be made right with this holy God and have a place in heaven. Look now, if you get no further in the message than that, if that's all that you can hear because that's really the, the thing that you need to hear today that God is holy, that we are not, that we must be holy, and God has done everything necessary in Jesus Christ to make us holy in His sight, to make us His holy people, well, then that's enough to remember and to know that if you will turn from your sin and if you will trust in Jesus Christ, not in the filthy rags of your own good deeds, but in the pristine white robes of Christ's righteousness. He will remove the filthy rags, clothe you with the righteousness of Christ, and He will welcome you into glory. But being a Christian is more than just being saved from hell and going to heaven because it's not a one-time ordeal. The Bible doesn't speak of it that way. Being a Christian means that we belong to God. We are adopted as God's children. He is our 
father. And you know what small children do, right? Small children do things like their dad does them. Small children hold a hammer like dad. Small, small children want to swing a bat like dad. But small children want to speak like dad and take responsibility like dad. Small children just tend to take after their dad. And as a Christian, with God as our Father, we are meant to take after our Father. We are meant to, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God. We are meant to be holy. Now, every Christian is called to be holy, but what Paul is telling Timothy is that it is particularly important that those who lead the church, those who teach the church, those who hold offices within the church must, must, must pursue holiness. How critical it is. I mean, this is why Paul tells, this is why, not Paul, this is why Peter says to the elders who are scattered among various churches in 1 Peter 5 that they're not to lord it over those within their care, but they are to be examples for the flock. It is a high and holy and heavy calling to be called to lead God's people in any capacity because my life, the elders' lives, even the deacons' lives, all these lives of officers are meant to be examples that you can follow. To say, that's what it looks like. I can follow that. I should follow that. And when that man who is still a sinner sins, he should be quick to confess and repent his sin and reconcile with other people and so that people can look and say, oh, when I sin, that's what I should do. I should seek to reconcile. I should confess my sin. It is so critical. I mean, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.12, set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Be Holy, Timothy. Now, I'm going to say something that, that, that maybe you hadn't thought of before, but holiness primarily has a positive connotation. It is primarily positive. It's being dedicated, devoted, consecrated, set apart to God and His purposes. It's interesting, when the Bible talks about whether it's utensils or people, it doesn't talk about people being holy from. It always uses the preposition to. These things are the Lord's. They are holy to the Lord. Deuteronomy 7 says, you are a holy people to the Lord your God. It has a positive connotation. So, pursuing holiness is not primarily a runaway command, okay? It is primarily a run-to command. So think of it this way. A woman may stay away from every other man in the world, but if she does not pursue intimacy with her husband she is not fully devoted to him. She's just not going anywhere else. Same thing with a husband. If a man doesn't lay an eye on another woman, does not go after any other woman, 
That's not enough. That's not devotion to his wife fully. You must pursue your wife in intimacy. Pursue to know her. Pursue to love her. Pursue to lead her. Pursue to learn all that there is so that you can do that better. You must run toward that devotion. Not just stay away from other women. Many a marriage can grow cold and lifeless if it's just about staying away from other people. The warmth comes as we pursue intimacy. The same thing is true in our relationship. Uh, A person running away from certain behaviors isn't necessarily pursuing dedication to God. They just want to stay away from what will keep them in trouble, stay away from what will, you know, other people will find out. Stay away, stay away, stay away. That is not a full picture of the pursuit of holiness. Yes, you must run away from those things, and we'll see it, but you must run toward the Lord. You must pursue the Lord. When you're pursuing holiness, think of it this way, you're pursuing the Holy One. That's what you're doing when you pursue holiness. Now, that being said, and everybody keep that positive connotation in your minds, Timothy wants to make sure that, sorry, Paul wants to make sure that Timothy does stay away from certain things, does run. We both put off what is wrong and put on what is right. We are running. So if we're running after God's purposes, by default we will be running away from every other purpose that there is, right? My own purpose, the world's purposes, and that's what Paul communicates. Look at verse 20 and 21. Now, in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable use. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy. You see, the gold and silver vessels would be used for public gatherings. You're having a dinner party, right? You pull out, the good, you pull out stuff to serve others with, something that shows, you know, you don't tell people, hey, bring your own paper plate and your own plastic fork for the wedding reception, all right? You, you serve well, and you you use things that demonstrate honor to others, honor to the ones who are being served. And that's, that's what would happen in that day. Clay and wood vessels were ordinary and disposable. They were often used to collect garbage. They were even used to collect human waste. You don't pull those out for a dinner party. I don't care how many times you've run it through the dishwasher. Whatever you're cleaning up after your dog with, you don't let me eat with it when I come to your house, please. Right? And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying there are two possible Timothys here. There's an honorable Timothy and a dishonorable Timothy. And Paul says, cleanse yourself from all that's dishonorable. Be a vessel for honorable use. Be set apart. Be holy. Be fully dedicated to the Lord. Now, as we sang and as, we, as you read the fullness of the New Testament, that call must be empowered by the Holy Spirit who lives within Timothy. No doubt. Romans 8.13 says, if by the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Who puts to death the deeds of the… is that… do I have that verse up there? 
Romans 8, 13. Okay, so now look at that. Who puts to death the deeds of the body? Just read, read the words. You put to death. You. You. But how? How do you put to death the deeds of the body according to that verse? By the Spirit. There's the agency. You will never put to death the deeds of the body on your own. Timothy would never do that. But Paul's, what Paul's doing here is not giving Timothy a full theology of sanctification. What he's doing is say, cleanse yourself. Take it seriously. Your ministry depends on it. Whatever it takes, pursue holiness. Be a vessel for honorable use. Set apart as holy. That's what pursuing holiness is. It is cleansing oneself from what is dishonorable. And, as we'll see, pursuing what is honorable. So secondly, let's look at the second thing, why pursuing holiness matters. Now, of course, it matters for all Christians, but here Timothy tells, Timothy is told why this pursuit is so important. So let's read verse 21 again. This time we'll finish it. If anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. What is it that makes a person useful to serve the Lord? What is it that prepares us? What is it that makes us ready to serve? It's interesting, Paul does not point Timothy to education or experience. He doesn't actually point to anything that you would put on a ministry resume at all. Now, it's not because education and experience don't matter. I mean, education may make you more intelligent, but you know what it can't do? Cleanse you. Experience may make you more eloquent, and it may make you more competent, but you know what it cannot do? Cleanse you. There are among, within the church, there are filthy, eloquent, competent, intelligent men teaching. That is a sobering thought, isn't it? That is really sobering. That one can be intelligent, eloquent, competent, and useless. Because what is it that we would esteem within the church? Intelligence, eloquence, competence, education, experience. Do you know if you go back to 1 Timothy and you were to read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7, do you know the only thing that even dimly begins to speak of intelligence, eloquence, and competence is one qualification of the elder. He must be able to teach. The vast majority of the requirements for those who would be an elder refer to His holiness, refer to His character. We have this completely turned upside down 
And part of it is the way that we go about finding new people to serve the Lord in our church. But I'm going to leave that for now for you to discuss over lunch the difficulties in finding people because that's not what this text is about. These are useful, by the way. Education is useful. We should thank God for education. Experience is useful. We should thank God for it. God teaches us a lot through experience, but we should think of them as tools. They, don't, they are useful, but they don't make us useful, according to this text. Now, not all of you are pastors, but I want you to think, you know what really hits more people is think in terms of reading books, Okay? Many of us have benefited from reading godly books, books that help us understand and apply the Bible. I mean, there are just many, many out there. It's why we have the Quiet Time Cafe. It's why we invest part of our uh, uh, annual budget in there. But our first move, if we want to grow in usefulness, okay, as a mom, as a dad, as a pastor, as a teacher, as an evangelist, Our first move shouldn't be to reach for a book. It should be to examine our heart to see if we're actually pursuing holiness. Now, the book may be helpful in giving us tips and understanding texts, but don't just educate yourself. Cleanse yourself. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Pursuing holiness matters for ministry because when we're dedicated to the Lord, we're useful to the Lord. Being gifted doesn't actually matter if you don't care about being godly. Did you hear that? Being gifted doesn't matter if you don't care to be godly. At the end, God is not going to pronounce, well done, good and gifted servant. He's not even going to pronounce, well done, good and fruitful servant. He's going to be pronouncing, well done, good and faithful servant. Faithful servants pursue the Lord. Spurgeon said to a group of college students once, let a man once become really holy, even though he has but the slenderest possible ability, and he will be a fitter instrument in God's hand than the man of gigantic accomplishments who is not obedient to the divine will or clean and pure in the sight of the Lord God Almighty. That's why holiness matters. Third thing, where pursuing holiness should happen. Okay, so we talked about what pursuing holiness is, why it matters. Now, where should it happen? In verses 22 to 25, Paul applies this pursuit of holiness to two areas. In both, you will see the negative and then the positive, the put off and then the put on. First, Paul tells Timothy to pursue holiness in his personal life. Verse 22, so flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. What will it mean to cleanse yourself from what is dishonorable, Timothy? Well, it'll mean running away from youthful passions and running toward righteousness, faith, love, and peace. What are these passions? Well, it's a general term. There are no specifics here, but elsewhere in the New Testament, do you know what the Bible tells us? 
In Colossians 3, 5, these passions are to be put to death. In 1 Peter chapter uh, 2, verse 11, we're told that these passions wage war against your soul. In James chapter 1, these passions lure us into temptation, which gives birth to sin. Listen to James 1, 14, 13, 14 and 15. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. There's the same word. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. This cannot be limited to physical, sexual passions. It is more general than that. Anything that would serve you, that you desire so that it will serve you, can be an ungodly passion. What? Why is it that you fight and quarrel, James asks in James 4? Is it not because your passions are at war within you? Run from these, Paul says, and instead run after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Righteousness here is not the righteousness with which we are clothed to stand before God. Paul's not saying, hey, earn that righteous robe so you can stand before God and be right with Him. He's not saying that at all. Righteousness here is a righteous way of living. It is living in line with God's Word. It is living righteously because we have been made righteous in God's sight, because we serve a righteous Savior. Faith here is the same. It's not He's not calling Timothy to place his faith in Jesus here. He's, call, he's, he's actually talking about faithfulness, trustworthiness, integrity. Pursue love, love for God and love for others. Pursue peace. Let nothing disturb your relationship with the Lord or with others. As Romans 12 said, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now, friends, here's the reality. You cannot do both. Some people get so deceived, they think they can, they, can, they can pursue their youthful passions one day, and they can pursue these other things at the same time. Yeah, 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 I'm kind of pursuing my youthful passions, but I'm also pursuing this. Do you know you cannot? It's impossible to pursue both at the same time. It's impossible. You cannot be pursuing youthful passions and pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace at the same time. You can't do it because they don't belong in the same category, because they are opposites of one another. Don't think that you can ride the fence, dear friend. Don't think that public ministry or the esteem of others or who people think you are will change who you really are. To paraphrase Robert Murray McShane, who you are in your personal life is who you are and nothing more. Spurgeon again, I do beg you to attach the highest importance to your personal holiness. Do live unto God. If you do not, your Lord will not be with you. Those are sobering words, aren't they? Paul speaking to Timothy and Paul, through this letter, is speaking to us as moms, as dads, as pastors, as teachers, as those who share the gospel. Pursue holiness in your personal life. The second area, pursue holiness in your public ministry. Personal holiness is foundational, but on that foundation, build a ministry that's set, that is set apart to God. 
Here's what to put off. Verse 23, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. Essentially, these are empty-headed, hot-headed controversies. That's what Paul's telling him to avoid. The foolish and ignorant is the empty-headed. The breeding of the quarrels is the hot-headed. Avoid empty-headed, hot-headed controversies. Keep away from them. Stay away from them. The church, Timothy, is not a religious debate society or a spiritual conversation group where we entertain any and all thoughts about God. Now, of course, there are genuine questions, things we wrestle with, real doubts, but we don't just vent them. You know what we do? We bring the Bible to bear on them. Now, there are some who think that this kind of controversial discussion and debate is what makes church life really exciting and really intriguing. But do you know who doesn't think that way? The Apostle Paul. Or else he wouldn't be telling us to stay away from the things. It has, more, it has more capacity to stimulate division than it does growth. So stay away. Have nothing to do with them, Timothy. Have nothing to do with them, Gray Road Baptist Church. Have nothing to do with them. Instead, verses 24 and 25, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. People will treat you wickedly, Timothy. You'll have to correct those who oppose the truth, but don't get hot-headed. Don't grab your boxing gloves and go out looking for a fight. No, no, no. Be kind to everyone. Patiently endure evil. Be gentle in correction. Do those sound familiar to you? Let me just say them again. Kindness. Patience. Gentleness. Familiar to you? That's actually part of the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And actually, when you look back at what he is to pursue personally, did you notice? Faithfulness, love, peace. Within this one paragraph, Paul has looked to two-thirds of what he lists in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Do you want to know what a a Spirit-filled ministry looks like? This is it. It's done by one who, who exudes faithfulness and love and peace, and it's ministry that's carried out even in the face of opposition in a way that's marked by kindness and patience and gentleness. A Spirit-filled ministry doesn't mean I get tingles up and down my body when I leave. It means the place was marked by love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Do you want our church to be Spirit-filled in that way? That's not a rhetorical question. That's a real question. This means yes. This means no. Do you want our church to be Spirit-filled in the way that Paul's talking about? Yes. Do you want to be Spirit-filled in the way that Paul is talking about? It 
If that's going to happen, we're going to have to be committed to cleansing ourselves from what is dishonorable. Everybody would give a hearty amen to wanting to be at a church and go to a service and have everybody treat me with the fruit of the Spirit. But where the rubber meets the road is when you look in the mirror and you read love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Are you pursuing those things in your life? Are you contributing to a church that is filled with the Spirit by you seeking to live a Spirit-filled life? If you're going to, you've got to put off youthful passions. You've got to stay away from empty-headed, hot-headed controversies. You've got to put on righteousness, faith, love, and peace. Not alone, not off in your prayer closet somewhere. Did you notice that? Did you notice what he said to Timothy in verse 22? He didn't say, Timothy, go away on a retreat and pursue all these things, and then you come back. He said, no, 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 no. Pursue righteousness, faith, and love, love and peace. How? along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Timothy should be in relationship with other people. He is not some isolated, elevated worker that has no real, you know, touch or relationship with the people that he serves. No, no, no. You pursue those things along with everybody else. You're one of the sheep, Timothy. Follow the shepherd who is righteous and faithful and loving and the prince of peace. Pursue holiness as you serve the Lord. Now, Paul's last sentence is a helpful reminder. He says, beginning in the middle of verse 25, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. We pursue holiness as we serve the Lord, but He is Lord of the outcome. Did you catch that? We pursue holiness as we serve the Lord, but He is Lord of the outcome. We must be vessels for honorable use, but ultimately it's not the honorable vessel, but the one who uses honorable vessels that makes all the difference. He says, God may perhaps grant repentance. God is the one who brings people to their senses. God is the one who sets people free from the devil's trap. Yes, God uses honorable vessels to do it. We plant and water, but only God makes things grow. Only God gets the glory. You see, even the best of men are men at best. And even the vessel for honorable use is just a vessel. 2 Corinthians 4, we have this treasure in jars of clay, jars of clay, vessels. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Be a vessel for honorable use. God wants no other kind of vessel and trust Him to use you for His glory and the good of others. Pursue holiness as you serve the Lord. Let's pray.
Our Father, that is our desire that we would pursue holiness. We know that we have none in and of ourselves that we can stir up. We pray by your Holy Spirit that we would put to death the deeds of the body, that we would cleanse ourselves from what is dishonorable, that we would put on what is honorable, that we would flee youthful passions, that we would pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace together, that we would avoid empty-headed, hot-headed controversies and instead be marked by kindness and patience and gentleness. Even in the most difficult situations, even in the most conflicted circumstances, even when everyone around us may be hot-headed, help us to be vessels for honorable use. Make us as a church spirit-filled, Grow us by Your grace in the fruit of Your Spirit. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.